no matter how much I learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I discover new things about myself and how I can be a better human all the time. And this week's guest brought me new insights through her book and our conversation. We are all a work in progress, so get ready to call your own BS and discover radical acceptance. A warm welcome to Yvette S., Galen H., Danielle V., Amy C., and Eileen LT to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is Risha Grant. Risha is an award-winning diversity consultant and international corporate speaker. She is the author of Be Better Than Your BS, How Radical Acceptance Empowers Authenticity and Creates a Workplace Culture of Inclusion. Risha and I talk about what BS is, how to identify your own, and how to work through it. We talk about microaggressions and their opposite, how to respond when someone has said or done something that you have found offensive, and how to respond if someone is the one to call you out so that we can all create more inclusive, welcoming workplaces. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Risha. I'm so excited to dive into the topics that you cover in your new book. I just finished reading it. And I, as I was saying before, I've read a lot of books on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and all that, like everything in those related tangential topics. And I still learned so much from your story and from your book. And so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> it's always it's always a positive boost to hear that. So thank you. Good. All right. Well, let's start with the the framing concept of BS, because this really caught my attention and I think also just gives great language to something that a lot of us can want to avoid sometimes. So what what is this idea of BS in this biosphere? Right. So BS actually stands for a few things. Like this is my second book. So in the first one, BS stood for bias synapse, which is a brain's role in unconscious bias. In this book, it stands for biosphere, as you said, as well as our belief systems. And, and then, of course, the regular BS that we all know and love, right? <laughs> so for this book, a biosphere are those, are those spheres of influence in your life. First, starting with your family, right? Because they influence you before anybody does. Then you run into your friends and peers and then the institutions you attended, like the schools that you were put in or that you chose to go to the government that you live under and then your religion. And lastly, mass media, all of those things influence your life. Like I like to think of us as we're born into this world with a clean slate. And then as we're introduced to our family, they start to download their images onto our screens. And that's really how we navigate this world, right? Is what's on that screen, what's been played over and over. How do I perceive all of these things? And what have I been told about them? So that's that's what the biosphere is. I love it. I mean, it, it makes so much sense, right? When you think about, as you're saying, that we don't come into the world with particular biases, that it's something that we just pick up over time as the we have experiences in the world, right? From people and just all those places that we we picked it up from. Exactly. Um, you know, we're also living through the past hurts, pains, and experiences of the people who raised us. So some of those images that are downloaded aren't necessarily 
correct. They're correct maybe for what that person went through, but they're not something that you should take and, and live your entire life by. So one of the things that is so challenging about this is that we're often unaware of these things that have been downloaded onto us or the the experiences and the way that we're interpreting them. Can you talk a little bit about your own story of becoming more aware of your own BS? Because I think that was one of the pieces in the in the book that really resonated was this self-reflection and this kind of process of just recognizing that we all have it. And part of the work is to see ourselves in the in these new ways. Yes, yes. And I think that is the biggest part of the work is that we have to recognize how our biases are showing up in our behavior. And in order to do that, we need to find out what they are. And so for me, it took me back to a story with my grandmother. And the whole reason this came about was because I was working in diversity in Oklahoma. And, you know, I've been doing it 25 years, long before it was ever hot. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I'm meeting with people constantly who just didn't seem to care about diversity and inclusion. Equity wasn't even a part of the piece back then. And um, it was tough. I mean, I literally was uh, was starving, trying to make people care about diversity and inclusion. And I was doing it from the place of, well, this is the right thing to do. You want your employees to feel great at work and you want them to, you want this to be a place that they want to come. And that wasn't enough. So the business case was something that didn't even exist at the time. Um, so that was something that I had to go look for. Well, when I'm going into these meetings and I'm mostly meeting with white people and they're, they're just, I mean, some of them are flat out telling me, look, nobody cares about this. And I kept thinking, how can you not care about your people? Well, as I kept doing this and I'm, I'm code switching, meaning I'm, t I'm changing the way that I talk. I want to be accepted. I am making sure that I look a certain way so that I'm accepted. I feel like I'm going through all of these things. I'm going into these meetings already thinking these white people don't want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to me. Um, they have issues with me. And that started with my with my grandmother, who I tell everybody her and Jesus were best friends. <laughs> so, and the reason I have to say it like that is because she would always say, I love everybody with the love of God. And the love of God could feel a little oppressive at times, right? <laughs> because she's kind of throwing the Bible at you. But to her, it meant... I don't care who you are, what you look like, what your skin color is. I just love you because God loves you. While that was true, my grandmother grew up in 1923, Oklahoma, you know, and so the things that she experienced were horrible. They were difficult. And she, uh, as a part of her job as a grandma, it was, I've got to teach these kids how to navigate in a world that wasn't built for them. So I go to work with her one time and my grandmother was a maid for a white family. I'm from a really small town in Oklahoma. And uh, I used to go to work with her a lot, but I would go every time her boss's grandkids were in town so that we could play together. Well, we're in the floor playing one day when her boss says, hey, what do you kids want to be when you grow up? Never thought about it in my life. I'm probably around six or seven years of age, but everybody loves my grandma. They think she's pretty cool. So when it's finally my turn, I yell out that I want to be a maid like my grandma. Well, everybody's clapping, they're cheering and, you know, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, I, I said the right thing. I nailed this. And then my grandmother comes out of the back from somewhere. And I mean, I can tell she is not happy. She gets on her knees. She grabs me by both arms. She looks at me straight in the eye and she said, do you think I'm doing this because I want to? I'm thinking, yeah, you know, because I, <laughs> I think that's what adults do. And she said, no, I'm doing this because I have to. You are going to college. 
Now, I think back about that moment a lot because the room got really quiet, a little awkward. You know, no, there was all the clapping and cheering stopped. And we got in the car and she said, I wanted to be a nurse, but they wouldn't allow it. You know, and I didn't ask who they were and she didn't tell me. But right then and there, this us versus them was introduced. You know, and as I would go throughout life, um, you know, I'm from the era of playing outside. All of a sudden she wanted me to be inside, learning how to read, write and count. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to do that stuff at school. Well, no, because they might not teach you the way they teach the other kids. You know, I'm going to go buy some candy. I get two pieces of candy, jump back in the car and where's your sack and your receipt? Well, grandma's two pieces of candy. Well, they're going to think you stole that. You know, all these things are happening as, you know, it being downloaded onto my screen. And I still don't know who they are. Then one day I'm having this meltdown in a Walmart parking lot because grandma's trying to tuck my shirt into my shorts, but it's not that kind of outfit. Right? <laughs> so I'm having this major meltdown. And she says, they're going to think you haven't been raised right. So finally, I'm like, who? Like, who are we talking about? And my grandma says, white folks, child. And I mean, I remember even at that young age, just thinking, oh, my God, white people. That's what you've been talking about this entire time. They don't like me. It was it was mind boggling because when you grow up in a town that's predominantly white and all of a sudden you figure out <laughs> that all these people don't like you, it's pretty scary stuff. And not only that, I remember thinking in that moment, well, if they don't like me, I don't like them, you know, and if you really think about it, especially from a kid's perspective, grandma couldn't be a nurse. I can't play outside. They're going to think I stole my candy. And now I got to tuck my shirt in was not supposed to be. And I got a problem with these people. <laughs> but the real issue was that my that I had never in my life had a negative interaction with a white person. But my grandmother, again, being born in 1920, we can only imagine the level of racism or discrimination or prejudice that she faced. And to her, regardless of the love of God, she had to make sure, you know, in her eyes that we knew all the things that we needed to know to be okay. And I'll be honest with you, some of those things are really have been really helpful in my life because as I've gotten older, I've have had my own my own issues and my own things that have happened with white people. But here's the thing. I've had those same issues and problems with black people. Right. <laughs> I've had those same issues and problems with men, with women, with, you know, whoever you are. Like it has nothing for the most part. It has nothing to do with your color, your sexual orientation. And there are some people that it does. Don't, don't get me right. Anybody's listening to this? Yes, it exists. But if I can treat any person that I encounter for the person that they are and not the group that they belong to or that I think that they belong to, that I have an issue with, we get so much further along. And that's what I realized is, hey, I got to go into these meetings, you know, not carrying the baggage of the past. I need to go in, talk about who I am as a person, create relationships with people and make this work. And that's truly how I've been able to, to build my business is really honing in on those things that stop, that stop me from truly being, showing up as myself to another person. Your story is so incredible and such a great illustration of how we all have biases and that we get them from from folks around us who are not bad people in of themselves, right? They're sharing their own lessons so that they can, you know, hopefully help us have better experiences in our own lives. Exactly. And and I think that's such an important thing to remember that we're not bad people for having bias, right? I think that's where so much of the defensiveness comes from is, well, I'm, I'm definitely not racist. I'm definitely not homophobic, right? Like you're not a bad person for having biases. It just means you have to explore them and 
look at how you're showing up, right? So I feel like this is the the, the transitional moment from like, okay, we have these biases, we need to understand them. But in the meantime, if we're not, or even if we are somewhat aware, they still show up every day in our behaviors, right? Oh, yes. Can, can you yes, talk a I- little bit about the microaggressions and uh, micro inclusions? Because this was one of the new concepts for me that I just thought was yeah. so beautiful around micro inclusions. Yeah, definitely. It, it, <laughs> it does not. That's, that's the big thing. And thank you for saying that. Just because you become aware of your biases does not mean that they don't exist. What it means is that when you become aware, you can make a different behavioral decision in the moment, which is what I do. You know, there are times I get on an elevator with someone who makes me uncomfortable. And instead of shrinking into that corner, I decide to say, good morning. Hello. How are you? You know, things like that. And what you realize is that those 20 seconds that you're on the elevator with someone, I mean, if you can break that barrier, you're laughing with that person. You know how many kids they have (laughs) if they're married. And, and it just kind of dissipates. And so those microaggressions, those are those subtle things that we say to each other that come off as a backhanded compliment. Now, from the person who usually throws that microaggression out, they actually think they're giving you a compliment. But if you really take the time to think about that, it's, it's not a compliment. And so I'm the queen, the queen of stories, but I have you know this story about, I was in a bar in Chicago and I just finished a uh, speech and I went to have a glass of wine and I ended up sitting next to this young white guy and we hit it off because I don't meet strangers. And so we're laughing, talking, having this great time when he says, you are such a credit to your race. And I mean, I could literally just hear a record scratch and I know I just dated myself, right? But <laughs> I could literally just hear, hear this scratch and I'm like, you know, and being me, I just, I said, what white boy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like, he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me explain. You know, and I said, sure. And I got to tell you in that moment, I was so tired. Like these were not, it was not just a speech. It was like these all day trainings that I was doing for this huge bank. And I was exhausted. And so this, this guy tells me, well, most of the black people that I know don't work hard for what they want. They want things handed to them. Well, (laughs) this is is not going well. I'm tired. So in this, in the moment, I decide if I want to win or be right. Now being right means I'm cursing this dude out and I'm going to, I get to feel good. And then I get to tell anybody who'll listen about it. (laughs) (laughs) But winning means that I can take the time to explain to this guy why that statement was hurtful, harmful, and ignorant. And because we've been sitting together almost two hours by this point, I really didn't think this was just a racist guy. You know, I did not think that even though it really was more than a microaggression, it was more of a micro assault, you know, to really break it down. But I just didn't feel like that this was a guy that meant me any harm or meant to cause me any pain. So I took the time to explain to him, you know, and I mean, I gave him a whole rundown of, of the BS that he was talking talking to me about at, the, at that point in time. And what was great about it is that he and I, um, over the years, we've become friends. You know, we text a few times a year and it always he, he always texts and says, keep spreading the love. And he tells me about things that are going on at his job and how he's shutting down the BS, you know, so those microaggressions, you can shut those down with grace. Now I'll be the first to admit sometimes you're not in the mood for that. And sometimes things are a lot more harsh and a lot more difficult and you may be having a bad day and you don't feel like it's your responsibility. And I get that because I've been there too, but 
I also think that the way for people to truly learn from each other is by having those conversations and having those conversations in a way that doesn't shut it down and doesn't shut people out, but brings people in, right? And makes them a part of the conversation and, and helps them to understand why it is that what you said was really messed up. And so when you get to micro inclusions, those are really, really small things that a person can do to really diffuse a situation or to make people feel more comfortable. And they can, it can be as simple as understanding how to pronounce somebody's name. You know, my name is Risha. That's not even my full name, but I've heard it called every kind of name, right? And so, especially older people, they just don't care, right? They don't even try to get it right. But I appreciate when somebody tries to get my name right. A smile. I cannot tell you how many adults tell me, my managers don't smile. They come into the office every day, don't say anything to me. When they do, they're kind of barking orders at me. I think they're upset with me. I spend my all my days wondering what I've done wrong and what I can do to get on the right foot. But when you talk to the manager, they're like, person hasn't done anything. I have a thousand things on my mind, personal and professional, and I am just trying to get things done. Well, as a manager, if you don't smile, if you don't engage your employees, if they can't see the humanness in you, then how are they supposed to show up and give you their best? Because they think you don't like them. And I know it sounds so elementary to think like that, but we're all humans. We're all people that we need acceptance. We need to know that that people want us on the team, that they value the contribution that we make. And when you come in and you won't even smile at a person, that puts up a barrier that stays there for years. Yes. So, so true. Yeah. So after I learned about this idea of micro-inclusions, I did a little experiment where every store that I went into before I like checked out or placed my order or whatever it was, I like stopped and just looked at the person in the eye and smiled and I said, hello, how are you today? I mean, they're not my team members, but you know, most of us move through the world in a way that's just very transactional. And I was like, I just want to see like, what difference does it make, if anything? And I could not believe the difference it has made. And it's so true. It only takes 10 seconds at most to just make someone feel seen and just present. And so I, like, I'm like, this is my new thing. I'm doing this to everybody all the time. I love that. Yes, it, it's not a lot. That's what I, and I know I'm from Oklahoma and we smile and, and wave at everybody 10 times a day. But I gotta tell you, it just, it changes the day for somebody. You know, a lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with you. People have six spouses or kids or, you know, going through a divorce or, I mean, there are so many things going on in our world that have nothing to do with you. But when you can just share that, that moment of humanity with someone, I mean, it, you may be the only person that have smiled at them the entire day or that have, that has said, hello, or how are you? You know, they're, they're living in some other hell. And for those that, that, 10 seconds or five minutes that you interact with them could be the best part of their day. Yeah, I love that. And it's, I mean, I've experienced it. So I want to go back to this idea of becoming more aware of our BS because of the fact that we may be perpetuating microaggressive behaviors without even knowing it, right? And it's often hard for our team members to, to say back to us, hey, that really wasn't a compliment or 
you know, to speak up when they feel like maybe we're not treating them the way they should, right? Like no one's going to their manager and being like, hey, manager, you didn't smile at me at all today. Like what's going on? (laughs) Not not typical. So are there ways that you suggest we do that exploration or talk to our team members about how, what what is it that we're doing that we could be doing differently or to just even be just self-reflective in a way that we can try to analyze our own behavior to identify what might we be saying or doing that is actually doing more harm than good? And managers will really focus on a connected culture, meaning that your teams are cohesive, you know, that people can talk to each other, meaning that there is a system in place that allows them to say what it is that they need to say. So the first thing I would tell any manager is to listen. You have to listen to your employees. You know, you can't, you have to then validate that experience. A lot of times um, what happens with managers is they'll, the, the first thing they will say when an employee comes to them is, well, are you sure the, the person meant it that way? Well, yes, I'm sure. And most of the time, by the time someone actually comes to report something to a manager, they have read it past so many different people to make sure it's not them. So validate that experience. That does not mean that you agree with it. It just means that you're validating the fact that this is how they feel. And then as a manager, you have to act. And may, and I'm not saying that act is go fire someone because I don't think that's always the answer. I think that act can be, hey, you know what? I'm hearing a little bit of this here and there. Why don't we have a listening circle? Which again, sounds elementary, but I will tell anybody, everything that you learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you probably learned when you were five years old and how it is that you treat people. So a listening circle just sounds like allowing people to tell their stories because when you understand and you get to know a person, then you begin to break away some of the barriers that are just naturally there because of the world that we live in or because of the society that we live in. So a connected culture allows people the space to thrive, to say, you know what, you said that and it really hit me the wrong way. You know, sometimes you just have to explain what's going on. You know, and I and I believe that managers are so busy that and then some of them are when it comes to this topic, they aren't well prepared to deal with it. But if you can if you can listen to your employees and I can't I can't stress out enough active listening, listening to understand, not to respond. I think that is the first step because they are going to tell you they are going to tell you what's happening. And then you can take those stories. You can even in your policies like. Most companies have policies and procedures that are incredibly old. They've been there since the company was incorporated, you know, and maybe you can even give examples in your in your policies or procedures of microaggressive behavior. You know, you can give examples of micro inclusions, things that people don't think about because we're raised with them. You know, so if you can um, make people aware of saying things like you, you know, you sound so educated or you know, um, what I just said earlier, you're a credit to your race or, you know, looking at someone and just assuming that they're from a different country. Like if you can put those things down on paper, because to some people, they are normal. They are regular, as irritating as it may be. That's how they grew up. That's the, that's the biosphere they grew up in. So in order for us to, because uh, some people aren't going to do the work. They, they're just not. They don't feel like they have a reason to do the work. They don't feel like that when we talk about these things that we're talking to them, but then when you read it in the employee handbook and you're like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't know. And I have people that ask me now, they say 10 years ago, somebody told me that I, um, that I was lobbying microaggressions at them. And I thought 
you know, I was really frustrated and I thought that they were just making things up. But now I realize they were right. Should I call them and apologize? Should I try to find them on social media and apologize? Because people are starting to realize it. But if we don't put it in front of them, you don't throw it at them with a slingshot, but you put it in front of them because you have to, you have to do things with grace. If you want to move the needle, it has to be done in a way that is receptive to others, you know, and I know, and I do believe that sometimes it, you know, depending on what's happening, it, it may take more drastic measures, but for the most part, it's really figuring out a way to have that conversation in a way where both people are open to understanding. And I love what you said about, yeah, about listening and having grace. And you talk in the book about having grace for yourself and recognizing that you don't have to defend your behavior, which is what kind of a lot of us know. Oh, I didn't mean it that way, right? Like he, like he took it the wrong way or that's not true. I don't do it like that. And that actually just makes it worse, right? Then we're not yeah. really listening and yes. we're <laughs> invalidating their experience, right? As, as you describe in the book, as hard as it is for us to, to not, right, to, to like want to protect ourselves from realizing that we've done been the bad guy or done the bad things, it's so important to not do that. So what is the other alternative, right? If we're really just going to listen and kind of accept that this is someone's experience of our behavior, are there things that we can say or just things that we should be like, you know, the mantra we should be repeating in our head to help ourselves stay calm or the kind of the alternative approach to uh, to defending or trying to explain so that we can kind of get away from those bad feelings. Sometimes the, the biggest thing that you can do is accept, right? It's accept. It's accepting who you are, how you show up, and the fact that you've hurt this person. And that seems to be really difficult for people to do. So the book, the concept of radical acceptance in the book is different from how, how most people know it. Most people are familiar with that term from the wellness world, you know, or the, the world of counseling where they teach you how to avoid pain. The radical acceptance that I teach prevents people from causing pain, right? It's this the, it's the practice of welcoming and embracing everyone's full humanity, including your own, without BS. That's what radical acceptance is. So for me, if you actually read the read the whole book, you know, it's it's a big book. You you'll find out that these things aren't really that radical. They are they are about humanity. They're about seeing the humanness in each other. And I think that somewhere along the way we've forgotten. So what you can do is is really first accept yourself. Accept who you are. Accept that you have flaws and imperfections. Accept that your biosphere looks different than the people that you're around. And then actually, once you can accept you, you can extend that acceptance toward others, right? And that way people can feel comfortable. People are showing up at work wearing a full suit of armor, just trying to deflect the BS that's coming at them every single day. If you can allow them to take that off, because if you can imagine sitting there all day, you've got to make sure that you don't say the, the right pronoun of the person that you love. You've got to make sure that you're talking the right way. You've got to make sure you look the right way. You know, you've got to make sure that there's not anything about you that is off-putting to someone else. Where does that leave space for me to go out here and crush the goals that, that you set for me to make the company shine for their products or services? I can't even think about that stuff because I got to keep the facade up. So if you will allow people to talk to you, you know, and one way to do that is by you opening up. 
you know, honestly, people want to be managers, but I'm not sure that a lot of people understand that it, it deals a lot with people. Yes, there's the company and there's the goals and there's the products and there's the services, but there's the people and the people are the ones that are going to make all of these things work. So by you sharing who you are as a person, but I mean, and I'm not saying you go in here and tell people all your deepest, darkest things. I'm saying, Hey, how was your weekend? I took my kid to this awesome concert. You know, you have kids do, do they like this, this artist, you know, or I mean, something that just brings out the humanity and who you are, because those are the small seeds that are growing and cohesively bringing us together, you know, and then when the real stuff actually pops up, you can have a real conversation because you've gotten to know this person. You can say, hey, you said this thing earlier and it really rubbed me the wrong way, you know, and I'd love to understand what you meant by it. And that's the other thing. When people say things that are really, really offensive, the first thing I ask them is, now, what did you mean by that? And you can just see the light bulb in their head go off like, oh God, like did I just, did I just really say that? Because a lot of times we are so regurgitating things that we've learned along the way that we haven't really taken the time to figure out what they mean. So when people, and I call, I just stupidity to me, but when they say something like that, that is, that's very off-putting and you say, what did you mean by that? It really makes them think. And you'll hear them begin to stammer and try to back out of it. But we have to be able to call people on their BS in a way that um, brings them into the fold of understanding how that's offensive. The piece about wearing armor, right? Of like, I need to make sure that I don't show up in a way that's going to make others not accept me. Right? I think we're also experiencing right now that a lot of white people in particular, and sometimes men or people who are working with people who are trans or gender fluid are feeling like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so, you know, it's a different experience. But similarly, in terms of taking energy away from the relationships and away from the work and away from the collaboration and putting it into, well, I don't want to screw anything up. I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so that avoidance can be really detrimental to the relationships and to the work. So we're all like in, in some ways, we're all being distracted as opposed to saying, Hey, we're all in this together. We're all individuals. We are all trying to do our best and let's just have those open lines of communication. Let's all be learning and willing to be vulnerable and willing to accept ourselves and each other. Exactly. And if your culture says that in the book, I talk about a culture commitment, which is a commitment between the employees and the company that says, look, we're an imperfect company. We haven't done everything right. We know that there are things that we still need to learn. And here's a group of imperfect people, but together we can create a company that is just killing it, killing it from, from a standpoint of our bottom line, from being a place that people can thrive at, not survive, but thrive and actually enjoy the work that they're doing. And yeah, you're right. There are so many different things that we're facing now. You know, it, it, you, you had race, you had, you have ageism, you have gender, but when you, you mentioned trans people and trans, transgender people, I mean, and that's a, that's a totally different ball game. It, myself, I mean, I've been doing this 25 years, but as trans people became more present in my life and in the community, I was scared I was going to make a mistake. I mean, it just, I sat on the board of the largest LGBT organization that we have in our state 
And so, of course, there are trans people there. And man, I was so scared to mess up. I just really, <laughs> I really tried to just walk in the room and say, hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> so yes. I didn't have to have these one-on-ones. And then I'm leaving. See everybody next month. Because what happens, in all honesty, is as a person is transitioning, depending on where they are in that stage, your brain tells you, well, this is, this is, a, this is a male person or this is a female person. And so that's how you address them. You know, even knowing that they've transitioned, they may not look like it. And so I invited a trans person that um, I, I knew her. I didn't know her well, but she would attend my events. And so I thought she maybe, she, you know, she's supportive of my work. I called another friend that knew her better and said, hey, do you think she would go to lunch with me? And so long story short, we went to lunch, spent two hours together. And man, by the end of that lunch, I didn't care who she was. She was just a cool person. And so I, I really feel like we've gotten to a place where we won't have a conversation to each other with each other based upon how a person looks, you know, and that that's the part that is ridiculous, you know, because we don't know who our kids are going to be. We don't know who our nieces and nephews are going to be. We don't know who they're going to marry. One in six people are marrying outside of their race, right? More and more people are identifying at, in the LGBT community. So it's it's something that if you don't start to break down those walls now, you never know when you're going to run smack dab into it, you know, and that's what's happening is a lot of people are running into it. And I tell people all the time what's happening with DEI right now is that white people, especially white men, are feeling left out of the conversation. And therefore, you don't see the support that we need. Well, inclusion is about everybody. It is about everybody. Now, I realize that there are groups who have been dealing with the BS for years. I fall into a whole bunch of those groups, right? But what I know is that this is a world that we are all in together. And we have got to figure out that if we aren't stronger together, we will perish together. <laughs> so it's not the, the hierarchy that, or we have to break down the hierarchy, let me say it in that way, of what this world has been. And it's going to, constantly and consistently be broken down. And as far as companies go, they have got to realize that they've got to become a place that people want to be. And millennials aren't having it. They're just not having it. You know, they will stay at home until they're in their 40s or 50s to work where they want to work and do what they want to do. So we're counting on the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. So ooh, we got to figure it out. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're out of time. So Risha, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? Yes. His name was Charlie. My first job out of college. Charlie was, he was just an amazing person. I got fired about, I don't know, six months in. I won't say fired. I guess I'm supposed to say laid off, right? <laughs> but I was the last person there, least amount of experience. Um, and they had to cut back. So of course I had to go. Well, Charlie is really the reason that I started my own business because he was so upset about it that he came in and said, hey, we get a lot of jobs. People call Fox to shoot weddings, all the stuff that they don't shoot. And I was uh, at the time producing commercials for Fox. And so he said, I'm going to send every last one of those to you. And then he would actually let me borrow the equipment. That's why I can't tell his last name now. <laughs> let me borrow the equipment from Fox. He would come up there on the weekend so that I could edit it so that I could still make money. Cause I had signed that my, I got my first apartment. I had just signed the lease like a month before I was laid off. And so Charlie just felt horrible. And he, he, I, I wish I could find him to tell him what 
happened, you know, how how he was the person that really got my business started and off the ground. So I just, yeah, he was a great guy. Oh, amazing. Well, hopefully he's listening right now. And <laughs> where so. can uh, where can people learn more about you, get a copy of your book, all that jazz? Yes, they can go to RishaGrant.com and that is spelled R-I-S-H-A-G-R-A-N-T. And you can find everything there, but the book is in every store, every bookstore. You can get it online everywhere, Amazon, Walmart, Target, doesn't matter. I would love for you to connect with me on social media and all of my social media handles are Risha Grant, so I'm easy to find. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Risha. Really, really, really enjoyed this conversation. Risha is happy to offer five copies of Be Better Than Your BS, How Radical Acceptance Empowers Authenticity and Creates a Workplace Culture of Inclusion to members of the Modern Manager community. To get this guest bonus, become a member of the Modern Manager before September 28th and enter the drawing. Go to themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>